0: Listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 178. I'm your host, Andres Pintér, and joining me for the show is my co-host, Yelena Levin. See ya. Всем привет. Okay, всем всем привет. Isn't it? Isn't it to everyone?
1: Всем привет. Yes, everyone, hello. Okay. Hello, everyone. How is your <laughs> Russian, by the way, going?
0: <laughs> oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I have, have I mentioned it on the show actually, uh, that yes. I, I picked up uh, learning, learning Russian, and now I'm in the difficult phase of trying to, well, familiarize myself with the actual letters, which is yeah. not an easy task. But
1: They're a little uh, bit weird. They're the a little bit like Greek letters.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I love it. I'm, I mean. It's amazing and I I think I told you that that I'm absolutely amazed by how you learned to use definite and indefinite articles while while speaking yeah, English. Uh,
1: I uh, let me tell you the secret. I didn't. And uh, <laughs> a lot of the time it's sort of a hit and miss exercise um, uh, <laughs> where I probably miss 20%.
0: <laughs> I don't think is that high. No, no, no. I don't think so.
1: Well, I get it. I get it right. Roughly about eighty percent, I'd say, yeah, so I, I think, especially if you read my emails, the verbal communication, I probably drop like I said, twenty percent of the and, uh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think they're highly overrated. <laughs>
0: I mean, it's amazing, and I, I I love these small differences that that end up end up making making a massive difference when you when you want to learn a different language. And yeah. the other way around must be much easier. I mean, I have difficulties wrapping my head around it, but still, it's, it's like if you don't have the article, then you don't have to yeah. worry about it.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: All right. So how have you been? It's it's been a yeah. long time. Yeah. So.
1: It, it has been, and um, it, uh, since we last spoke, I think, I have finally moved to Seattle, uh, officially, to America, and um, have been settling in. And uh, I actually just have become a member of Local Skeptics on a recommendation of our, uh, one of our listeners, Chris.
0: Ooh, well done.
1: So they have an event coming up on 16th of July, which I potentially might be attending, called Scientifically Achievable Green New Deal. Uh, with somebody called James Conker, PhD. So I think he's a science writer. So I'll, uh, I'll look it up and see if, uh, if i have got time to go and see, uh, this lecture because it is a little bit crazy with all the, uh, moving and getting everything sorted but uh, (laughs) I hope so but anyway it's good to know there is a local skeptic group and they are very active actually Uh, they have events coming up uh, regularly so I'll be keeping my eye on those
0: so as if uh, we hadn't been international so far (laughs) you are expanding the scope
1: true international
0: (laughs) (laughs) well okay well you know what you know I'm going back to Canada again and at some point i'm gonna be in the same time zone again as you
1: oh okay well that's pretty good
0: yeah because well i'll finish up in vancouver usually
1: yeah yeah and then pontus will have to uh, make uh, adjustments <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: yeah yeah and uh, i'm afraid this is the very reason why he cannot join us today that uh, he's uh, otherwise occupied but i'm afraid we haven't always been too successful in trying to adjust our calendars to different events, right? And uh, one of the things that I, I'm i really regretting missing is is the celebration of the 10 years anniversary of the Merseyside Skeptic Society. Oh my of god. Of it-
1: course. Yes. It looks like they had a lot of fun and there were a lot of really yeah. interesting talks. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, I think it was very much... Old faces and old friends uh, in one mm-hmm. place, which obviously I also missed.
0: Happy birthday again to Side Skeptics. You guys Yay. are amazing and you are doing a wonderful job in spreading the word. And, uh, well, I kind of have the feeling that it, it probably was some kind of a, a mini QED-like event. But uh, obviously they are very careful not to call it that. <laughs> and, and I totally understand it. But let's um, invite today's guest on to talk about an interesting event that is coming up, and then then we move on with uh, the the rest of the stuff to talk about. All right. And now uh, we have here with us Andreas Kiriaku from Switzerland. He's the initiator and chief organizer of Dankfest, a very successful event in the country, board member of the Swiss Freethinkers, member of Skeptica Schweiz, and initiator and chief organizer of CampQuest. So, welcome back to the show.
1: Hi, again. Welcome. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I think the first time that, that that you were on the show was for with an interview that we recorded at QED, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Indeed it was, yeah.
0: Yeah, so it's been a long time, but uh, how have you been? You've been busy,
2: right? Um, I guess, so. I mean, it's still predominantly uh, a hobby to run the Freethinkers and these side events. Um, but yes, we've tried to um, get quite a few things organized. We've also relaunched our magazine. We're still doing print, but um, since a year's time now in a... In a layout that um, looks nice and up-to-date we call it magazine for a secular and humanist Switzerland
0: but it's uh, published in German isn't it
2: yeah yeah We're, we do have um, an Italian and a French journal as well they're on a bit of a smaller scale just because there's uh, not too many resources in the French and Italian speaking mm-hmm. part of the country all right
0: Okay. But the reason why we invited you on uh, this time is uh, mostly CampQuest. Tell us about how it started and and when it's happening and who is it for?
2: Well, CampQuest is a, a summer camp for kids between 9 and 15. We have basically copied an idea that started off in the States and then found its way to Europe through the UK. In the States... A number of secular humanist-minded parents were a bit fed up with the situation that basically you could only send your kids to Bible camps. Yeah, And so they thought there needs to be some alternative. And uh, they started to come up with ideas how to fill a week with program elements that are fun for kids. And then uh, Samantha Steen in the UK, she went there as a volunteer And thought, oh, that's a really good thing to do and brought the idea back to the UK and set up uh, a UK base camp a year later in 2010. And then uh, we had the first Denkfest and Samantha as a speaker presented what she had um, achieved in the UK. And then we thought, let's have one here. And well, it's been running since.
0: Hmm. And do you know? Do you know how many how many countries uh, are involved with uh, running Camp Quest?
2: Sadly, there's only the UK and us that have survived outside the US. In the US, there's I think more and more camps um, every year. There's probably in in almost every US state a camp running. There were camps in Norway, in Ireland for. Um, one or two years but because it's always quite a bit of work to find a bunch of six people or so that have time in the same week to set it up again and of course you need the location and well interesting kids as well so the others have sadly gone out of operation because the workload is quite high.
0: Are you still so the organisers in these two countries? Are you still in touch? Do you do you work together still
2: with the the US? You mean well loosely there is a, a Facebook group for CampQuest leaders and so um, we sometimes join in um, into discussions. The connection is rather loose. So, I mean, we, we're sort of entitled to use the logo and they trust us that we we use a similar or that we base on, on a similar idea that we don't um, drift off content-wise. Mm-hmm. But it's not that um, there would be a very formal agreement that we would have to take up their own ideas of how the camp needs to be organized or what content there should be.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. How many... Uh, students, can you usually get to attend these camp quests a year
2: well ours is is a lot smaller than some of those in the u s which now have basically um the the size um, of scout uh, camps with more than 100 um, kids at, at the same place um, during a week. We've always had numbers um, in the high tens, low 20s, which makes organizing things an, a lot easier. Usually it's easier mm-hmm. to, to find a suitable location. One thing we have not actually ever attempted is to actually have a camp with tents as an <laughs> For some might imply because that I mean that does make it um, more more laborious and. It is then maybe more worthwhile if you can run two or three weeks with different groups coming and going um, one after the other. But US camps very often are, say, proper camps. um, Mm -hmm. So they have more infrastructure. uh, They need many more volunteers. Mm -hmm. So we're quite um, okay with having it on a slightly smaller scale because it allows us to. run it every year
0: can you get some kind of funding for it or it's it's fully funded by the participants parents
2: it is more or less self-funding um i mean everyone who joins in as a camp leader does it for free we do of course um pay traveling costs and on-site accommodation of course for the the leaders is free but the the fees that we charge allow us to more or less um cover all the costs Mm -hmm. so um food, the housing. Um, Sometimes, of course, we go to visit sites or so where we have to pay entry fees. All that we try to include. And we've um, set up sort of a a scale of fees so people can, depending on how well off they are, can pick a lower or a higher price. And luckily, we usually get quite a number of parents that give us a top end um, contribution. So that helps, which of course is also maybe a sign that we have not um, quite a random sample of the population um, that joins in. <laughs> uh, which we have to admit um...
0: content wise what can you tell us about about it so is it uh, mostly along the lines of uh, secularism and secular humanism or can you drop some kind of science and skepticism into that uh, here and there
2: Actually, the focus is more on on science, on Mm -hmm. scientific discoveries. We usually have um, experiments. But we, depending on the overall theme, we've started to give every camp a lead theme. This time it's um, us and the animals, where we look at how similar we are to other species and um, what does in some areas make us different. Uh, And we, for example, go to... Um, see a farm where farm animals which have no value in the farming industry um, uh, are kept so they can basically spend the rest of their life there. So we talk a bit about animal ethics this time. So it's I think this time a good mix of science and ethical topics. So uh, one part of humanism. Mm -hmm. We do try to encourage sceptical thinking. Of course, we can't run the same experiments every time, but um, we have produced homeopathy uh, with the kids and let them get an estimate of how diluted things get already after um, four, five times mixing uh, substance one to ten. So we let them guess, for example, by placing 30 um cups with water how long will it take for a very dark liquid to become invisible after how many um one to ten dilutions and usually kids are far off they think well maybe it takes uh, half or 20 cups to not be able to see anything and then they realize after five times it's at least invisible to the eye and we tell them from when on there's nothing left to measure even with a microscope. Um, we've had a Barnum test, um, so we can tell kids that we're, we're giving them a questionnaire to test a, a new personality scale and let them draw a few things on a, on a piece of paper and tell them that um, A new computer program will do the evaluation and give them a a score, a a short text, which describes their personality, and then they have to, uh, on a scale, tell us um, how well it fits. And of course, the idea is um, sooner or later they realize that they've all been given the same text, so their personality is all the same according to the assessment, Um, yet all of them thought well the text fits very nicely so we occasionally we run real critical thinking tasks just um so that they can reflect on things like um myopathy or of course they always make the jump to astrology where
0: mm-hmm. yeah. they
2: see these these sentences um so um not necessarily year by year but sometimes we we have um elements of that kind We do have quite a lot of regulars, so we we have to make sure that we have new things to offer every year. Otherwise, they get Mm -hmm. bored. That's really cool.
1: I just wanted to uh, ask you quickly about another great event. Uh, called Denkfest. Uh, I believe the last one took place in 2017 and looking at the program you had quite a selection of speakers uh, there. Um, Am I understanding that it was in English or some talks were in English?
2: Denkfest is our only event that we try to run or we do run bilingually so it's German and English with simultaneous translation uh, in both directions for all talks.
1: That's that's excellent. And uh, when are you planning on putting up, if if at all, uh, the um, the next Deng Fest? It's been two years now, I think, since the last one?
2: Yep, we are in a, in a three-year cycle up to now. So we started in 2011, had one in 2014, 2017. So the third is due 2020 and it will actually happen 4th till 6th of September. We... Hope that we can put up a temporary website with with um, at least sketches of the program in uh, September, and uh, it will be about whether science needs fixing. Ooh. So we'll we'll look at problems of replication studies about yeah. um, what problems exist in the science publishing industry, say with the refusal to print uh, failed replication attempts with uh, publication bias, etc. with journals more and more running um, on the pay to play principle. So um, there are certainly worrying aspects in, in science publishing, and we want to bring this up, have speakers and panels on on these it's, topics.
1: Do you? Could you? Can you reveal any names yet? I know it's very early, and you haven't even done the sketch program, but
2: no, because you know? we're we're still um, we've only started to reach out. So um, I mean, we have to start with setting. Or fixing the location and the, uh, the weekend, and we've got a few people that um, we we know we want to have, and we've been in in touch with people before we knew when exactly the think fest would be, but we're with regards to actually. Um, Having confirmations on a, in a very early phase,
0: and the Dankfest, as I understand, Dankfest is organizing collaboration between uh, the free thinkers and uh, skeptical Schweiz, right?
2: Yeah, the, the skeptics. I mean, they were founded after the first Dankfest. They've been a partner for the last two Dankfests. Um, we'll certainly have them on board again, um, mm-hmm. and we we always. Uh, had a number of of partner organizations also um local swiss ones but international organizations
0: okay um do keep us in the loop when whenever something new appears uh when the the actual program is out or you know more about it please get in touch and uh, and we'll start promoting it or we'll we'll help with the promotion of it and uh I understand that uh, the next Camp Quest is due towards the end of this month, right?
2: It starts on the 21st, yep.
0: All right. So I wish you good luck with that and uh, a very successful event. And thank you very much for joining us today, Andreas Kiriakou from Switzerland.
1: Thanks for your time. (laughs) Thanks
2: again for having me. And yes, I'll of course gladly come up with news for the tankfest.
0: Great. We'll be looking for that. Goodbye. Okay. Thank you.
2: Thanks a lot.
1: (laughs) Bye. All the best.
0: Okay. So, yeah, there there are lots of things happening. And uh, Mm -hmm. one of them is the European Skeptics Congress that is coming up soon. I'm assuming you're not coming, right?
1: Uh, from no, the other end of the I'm world. I'm afraid it, it it became increasingly uh, difficult to travel to Europe just because of the distance, but yeah.
0: But you know what? You might end up being a frequent uh, attender of one of those sceptical events in the US, like PsyCon uh, mm. uh, and um
1: uh, Yeah, things. I mean, th- there's um, obviously the New York one... Um, which is quite big, uh, but NSC, mm-hmm. NSC. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Nexus, Nexus, yeah, yeah.
1: But if you think about it, New York is also like a different part of the world. Yeah, from that's Seattle. true. That's true.
0: It's, it's, it's a whole continent. <laughs> it's a good six way. hour
1: drive, six hour <laughs> flight, sorry. Um, yeah. so we'll see. I'll, I'll give it a go. And I, I know actually that Seattle does have locally a lot of good talks and s- things happening so i think yeah neil degrasse tyson was here recently so there's gonna be things coming up um that i can take yeah
0: care. i i don't think you'll you'll get bored with uh, the skeptical activities over there yeah but i think we should we should Start moving on and um, and deal deal with our actual show. Yes. Anything else you want to mention before we turn?
1: Just to quickly mentioning the uh, fundraising campaign by the Good Thinking Society that we have mentioned last mm-hmm. time on the show in support of the judicial review over the uh, PSA reaccreditation of Society of Homeopaths. So they're trying to stop that happening. Mm-hmm. Um, they are um, raising uh, f- funds as we speak on the. Uh, crowdjustice.com website um, and we did link last time and we'll link again and they're looking to raise 36,000 pounds which in the grand scheme of things is not a lot of money for legal costs so I um, mm-hmm. just wanted to give a shout again <laughs> yeah Right.
0: alright so that means that we are moving on to our actual segment and to start I'd like to invite you to tell us a story about something that has happened This Week in Skepticism.
1: Okie dokie. I'd like to mention someone who was born uh, this week on the 8th of July, 1857. His name was Alfred Binet. He was a psychologist. Was he French? He was, uh, yes, he was born in France. Nice. Nice, France.
0: Then I believe his uh, surname is pronounced Binet.
1: Binet. Uh, Alfred Binet. Yeah. And, uh, he was, uh, a person, first person who invented uh, first practical IQ test. Um, mm. I wanted to mention this uh, because of a controversy that's surrounding the IQ testing to this day. So by the 1900s, when he came up with his test, uh, there were other people who were coming out with different ones, developing the uh, the uh, ways to to test intelligence in Europe and America, uh, claiming that they have this unbi- unbiased way to do it. So by 1905, uh, Binet Simon. Scale test became the basic for the modern IQ testing. But ironically enough, Binet himself actually thought that IQ tests were inadequate measure for intelligence, pointing to the fact that actually they're not properly measuring creativity or emotional intelligence. Um, They're all about sort of doing the tasks or answering very practical questions. And uh, at the time, I guess it was a quick and easy way to sort of identify kids who were clever or smarter, whatever that might mean, uh, compared to other kids. And uh, in fact, um, Binet was commissioned by the French government to come up with a test uh, so that they can identify students who would uh, face the most difficulty uh, studying in school. Mm-hmm. But um, of course, as many scientific inventions go, this test quickly evolved and uh Adop, became adopted by a lot of uh, countries and uh, became very very popular in America uh, in a different version later on and uh, that's when uh, the whole controversy around the uh, IQ testing kind of started
0: That is still ongoing today right?
1: That is still ongoing, you're, <laughs> you're, you're absolutely correct. So the um, the Americans um, are still actually using the IQ test for uh, people who would like to work in police uh, forces and and to recruit the um, people into the army, alpha and beta. Sorry, because that's special units. But uh, this test uh, essentially was hijacked uh, by the um, eugenics movement uh, in America. Mm -hmm. Um, So they were uh, saying that basically by doing this test and identifying people who were less intelligent, they were justifying... uh, the movement to sterilize those people, which was, I actually i had no idea. <laughs> They're basically um, I can see what they were doing uh, yeah. I mean, it's its very much we're kind of going through the same uh, cycles now, you know, the vilifying of a certain group of people. So they were um, doing those tests um, and then identifying, and I quote, idiots, imbeciles and the feeble-minded, and then arguing that these people <laughs> threatened, threatened to dilute the white, Saxon. Anglo- Saxon Gen- genetic stock of America. Ha! Ooh. Well, we have we have heard that argument before, and that didn't end Ooh, well.
0: Well, well, well. Yeah.
1: So basically, uh, there was a um, compulsory sterilization imposed on these people, uh, and sixty over sixty-five thousand coerced sterilizations happened between the late nineteen twenties uh, and as 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 late as until mid seventies. And I believe that now there are still. Uh, some court proceedings happening, and uh, in 2015, the US Senate voted to compensate living victims of the government sponsored sterilization programs. So, Look, science is not ideal, and I've I've never claimed it, of course. I mean, it's great that it it explores things and it discovers things, but obviously this is an example of how it it got completely hijacked by the wrong cause. And uh, we should be quick to stand up against uh, these kind of developments and um, uh, defend the uh, classes uh, of the people who are less fortunate or um, in difficult circumstances, etc., rather than try to beat them down even further. Yeah, I agree, and I believe this also the accused testing also uh, unfortunately helped uh, with the uh, d- discriminating against uh, various races. They specifically mentioning Hispanics uh, and African American uh, races.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is why we need measurements, and this is why we need standardization because uh, th- there will be uh, very sensitive findings emerging and and then there will be sensitive discussions having to be made. But you know, shying away from actually measuring things like intelligence uh, just because it could have serious negative implications on societal interconnections, I I don't think it's the right way. We have to be adults Mm. and we have Mm. to be mature enough to, to to face the results of an, of, of mm-hmm. findings and try to deal with them in the mm-hmm. right way, right? Yeah,
1: that's, I agree with that. But uh, I think what what is being done in the past and still is uh, happening is that these kind of findings are being used to rally people, yeah. uh, uh, you know, the hate groups, etc. to promote their their agendas that are very unhelpful and discriminating. So that's kind yeah. of where the, the problem is. But yeah, I do, I do agree with you. Whenever
0: there's a, a census... Do you want to to take details of someone's religious affiliations, uh, someone's racial background or or anything like that? But of course, the more different variables you measure, the more detailed your findings will be and the most accurate your information will be. So this is why it's important to know, for example... when. uh, when, whenever there are things you try to measure as to how people are connected to, to, to different pseudoscientific ideas and how likely they are to be drawn to them, uh, if you measure it against a level of IQ, for example, if you could do that, that would be fantastic. That would give you a lot of information, but uh, because you, it would give you, give you a much more accurate picture as to how to tackle the problem, right? But obviously, there will be a lot of people saying that then, if you know that, you would just need to shut them out of everything, uh, those people who are below a certain level. Oh, by the way, do, do, you, know, do you know how uh, high my IQ is? No. Any guesses? <laughs>
1: Five. Five. <That's-> <laughs> <laughs> I don't know.
0: A 100- hundred is is the average when you when you compare to the, right
1: right okay. the, the
0: mental age to chronological age
1: what's your IQ
0: <laughs> it's below 100 um, according to one test that that I did ever in my life
1: oh don't upset yourself by doing these things
0: <laughs> but the funny thing about it was that after a while I started to see a pattern emerging and that that pattern looked like uh, they are trying to trick me with these questions and I started to try and, and, and spot the trick. So find out the, those outliers based on uh, how tricky a question I thought would have been. And it turned out that they were not tricky questions. They were just asking me to to find the outlier of a certain list. And uh, they were not cr- tricky questions at all. So I started criticizing the questions, and <laughs> I ended up getting much, much lower scores. So this is this is how I ended up with a with an IQ of eighty. They
1: they they're not perfect, right? They're not perfect.
0: Yeah. Anyway, thank you very much, Ilana.
1: That's it. Yeah. No problems.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, I think uh, we we are going to move on very quickly because uh, since Pontus is unfortunately not with us today. Uh, we will have to make do it without him. And that means that uh, he's not going to poke the Pope. And since the segment is called Pontus Poke the Pope, I don't allow any one of us to do it. <laughs> <laughs> True that. <laughs> and I think we've run out of uh, Annika's reports as well. So we are moving straight to uh, discussing a couple of news items.
1: There was a petition that that was recently started uh, to uh, a German parliament, uh, mm-hmm. Bundestag. Uh, it's a, it's a German federal par- parliament, and um, it is calling to. Uh, put the homeopathic medicine through the same rigorous uh, approval process, proof of efficacy, as any other medicine. So at the moment, that's not the case. I mean, uh, the, you know, the, the proper medicine, the medicine that works, like paracetamol or whatever, it goes through a complex approval procedures, um, and they have to prove that these these medicines work for what they claim they work. So they treat headaches or whatever. Uh, but when it comes to homeopathic remedies in medicine um that is not the case that are not um fall into the same standard and so uh, the petition is is um, available for people to sign to appeal to the uh, parliament in Germany to address this issue and make it uh, uniform but of course we know the impact of this would be that them, the homeopathic remedies will not be approved. So you know <laughs> there is a r- ramification. I'm a bit surprised uh, of how little signatures they need to get an attention. It's only 800 signatures, but you know if that's what it takes, then that's great. Um, and they've already reached 668. And we will link it in our show notes if anybody would like to go and uh, give their voice to this petition. I am not quite sure if if you can sign it if you don't live in Germany. Um, uh, it asks for the first name, last name, email and the postcode.
0: So I, I'm pretty sure that it's it's only for German citizens because of that or people living in Germany.
1: But it's a good example of, of what's been done in Germany and can be done in other yeah. countries as well. Um, I think, I believe... For England, these numbers should be much higher if you want to uh, appeal to Parliament or get their attention mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it It'll be more than eight hundred signatures that will require, but obviously they're more <laughs> efficient in Germany
0: well, for our country it's it it wouldn't happen even without a hundred thousand signatures
1: oh well, that's yeah, but you're you know Putin is in charge there, so you you know <laughs> yeah you just have to go through him. <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, everything has to go through him. Uh, more on that later. <laughs> but I, uh, I do think that uh, these are very important initiatives, and especially because what I imagine will happen with this is that the, the German federal parliament will still shy away from acting on this because it's so it has so much support. I mean, homeopathy in the country has so much support mm. that that it's going to be a very hard nut to crack.
1: Well, it's a mother. It's it's a mother country. And it's, that's exactly
0: exactly that's They're that's the country attached. where the good old Hanuman was born for God's sake ah <laughs> uh, yeah so I I think it will uh, take a lot of people and a lot of effort but it's it's important because you need to know let the government know that there there is an opposition and there is the other side there is it's not just the support that it has it has its critics and it's and it lacks Any kind of scientific background. Uh, yeah. But now that we mentioned Hungarian government, for a long time I hadn't had um, a great rant on Facebook about anything. But now this one really made me want to just scream and just kill someone. You know what happened? Go on. Our parliament, a couple of days ago, Passed a law, obviously, because it's an overwhelming majority that they have—the uh, Fidesz Parliament, uh, Orbán, v- Viktor Orbán's Parliament. It's his own Parliament, for God's sake. There is some kind of opposition, but it's not strong enough to do anything. Mm-hmm. So uh, he he just passed a law that basically sets out to destroy the Hungarian Academy of Sciences. the The problem was that uh, occasionally there were decisions that were, and this is what I'm. I'm I'm not sure that was a problem but it fits right into the system and how they run the country that occasionally there were criticisms from the institution towards some of the decisions uh, of of the government so they probably set out to to destroy everything and and just just wipe it off mm-hmm. so how they they decided to do it the Hungarian Academy of Sciences since its foundation has always been funded by the government but not meddle with. The government had to give the funding but the the academy was always absolutely free to decide what they do with that and and they ran 15 research institutes in the country. Those are among the most prestigious research institutes in Hungary. And, uh, they decided the directions of the research. And it was dictated more or less by the international trends and, and, and where, how science develops. Now it's over. Because, uh, of the 170 million euros of budget, that is uh, the, the, the budget in 2019, the 2020 budget only allocates 52 million euros. Uh, So less than one third of that to the academy, because they uh, basically reorganize the whole thing. And the 15 research institutes will not be controlled by the academy, but a new body that is called Ötverschlorand Research Network. And it basically works under the Ministry of Innovation and Technology that reports to nobody else but the prime minister. And they try to do um, something else, that uh, this uh, research network will be controlled by a National Scientific Policy Council. Now, when it comes to Orbán's government, when the national and policy words appear together in one expression, (laughs) it's a cause for concern. Mm -hmm. So, this basically means that he wants to control what government money will be spent on... And uh, they specifically mentioned that they will only fund research that will directly benefit the country or its economy. But that's not how science should work, right? And this uh, National Scientific Policy Council will have 13 members of its governing board, out of which six will be delegated by the academy. But only um simple majority will be needed to make decisions of the council so it will obviously be controlled by the government so this is the state of uh, scientific research in Hungary right now so I'm assuming that uh, in the next couple of years we'll be seeing a couple of uh, researchers fleeing the country going to other countries where science is still independent and uh, is not in direct control of the government so there there have been demonstrations out on the street there there have been protests but obviously Orbán never never listened to those protests uh he's absolutely cynical about all that and all he wants is total and utter control of everything including science including arts including basically everything
1: presumably only the science that's good for our policy and the government we will be approved
0: Basically it started with uh, the dismantling of um, uh, the CEU, the the Central European University that was funded by George Soros and um, uh, that's how it started uh, when when the, the clash between politics and science started in Hungary and it just keeps developing and getting worse.
1: I want to mention something very quickly uh, that came to my attention there has been a legal proceeding launched against one of the science writers called David Robert Grimes he writes a lot about the cancer research etc by a former Irish independent journalist Gemma O. Doherty and this is a very recent development and I believe that it was in response to the launch of a defamation proceeding against authority oh, by Grimes last month so you know that's an interesting uh, trend that I'm observing uh, correct me if I'm wrong andres that uh, the we becoming Europe is becoming more litig- litigious a bit like America
2: <laughs> <No>.
1: <laughs> so we'll see how this uh And um, there was no official statement yet issued by either uh, David Grimes, David Robert Grimes or Gemma O'Doherty uh, on this. And it's it's very much (laughs) going to be one of those them against us battles. I believe she actually, um, the reason why the original defamation proceeding was launched because of something that she said uh, about HPV vaccines. She's got a an anti vaccination stance, which gives you an idea
2: mm-hmm.
1: um so we'll see how that goes uh and whether there'll be any um development fundraising requests, etc. and keep you posted uh but like I said, it's a worrying development
0: okay, enough of those already
1: <laughs> well, I know, but I think yeah. it's gonna only get worse, <laughs>
0: oh. <laughs> fuck (laughs) um yeah i i i don't think uh the next item will change any of that either uh i mean it's i mean it's not that terrible it's just a survey that that has uh well somewhat questionable results because even though they uh, they say that it's representative there are several issues there with it that suggest otherwise Uh, so basically it focuses um, and this is a Swiss Medical Weekly uh, that published this uh, article in the middle of June and um, well it uh, goes into detail into uh, how Swiss pediatricians uh, use and what what their approach uh, is to complementary medicine Uh, first of all Complementary medicine is not a broad enough area to to do such a survey. I think uh, complementary and alternative medicine is what what we uh, what usually is measured because it's 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 under the same umbrella. Uh, and I like uh, the the way that Adzer um, uh, Ernst calls it. Uh, he calls it not CAM, which is complementary and alternative medicine, but scam, which is so called mm. alternative medicine. And I like yeah. the, the the play with the words because it really is a scam. Most mostly, so it's it focuses on Switzerland and uh, the surveyors approached one thousand eight hundred and ninety paediatricians in the country, but uh, only six hundred and forty of them replied. Two thirds of them were female and aged between thirty five and fifty five years. Obviously, they had to be trained as paediatricians and had to work in practice which is which is a good start i mean uh, that's that's pretty good they predefined a couple of subgroups so that that, that they can identify the different um levels of um the, the the society of pediatrics and the swiss medical association helped them with the register their register and they they try to assess the representativeness of the survey however the findings are pretty interesting but i don't think they should be trusted as accurate based on the things that i just mentioned uh, so first of all according to these uh, the this survey about 23% um of uh, the pediatricians in switzerland had previously attended any kind of uh, cam training including ph- phytotherapy homeopathy acupuncture traditional chinese medicine and anthroposophic medicine uh those those are among the the, the ones mentioned according to their self-report b- b- by the way oh the survey was based on a 19 item self-reporting questionnaire about their practices so 16% of them provided scam uh, services, oh scam, I keep, keep calling it scam, but, uh, but I'm going to follow uh example on that. So 16% of them provided scam services to their patients, and 65% of them were interested in scam courses and training. They say they reported that 97% of their patients uh, asked them about these practices. And when it comes to treating their families and themselves, more than half reported that they use these uh, alternative uh, medicinal practices, which is really interesting Mm. because 16% of them provided these services in their actual practice. But when it comes to their families and themselves, more than half of them use them. So does that mean that you use something on yourself and your family but not on your patients so does that mean i i don't know so i it it just doesn't add up to me uh, mm. how, how does that work in in your medicinal practice when you want to provide the best care to both your family and your patients anyway it's just something when when you read the uh, the actual article um the, the conclusions do not really seem to be linked to to the actual numbers and uh, uh and and the fact that this is not a representative study so yeah i think the most accurate thing we can say is about Swiss pediatricians using alternative medicine is that we have no fucking idea as to how it goes how it goes but the, pr- the the problem is that in switzerland uh, a lot of these complementary and alternative medicinal practices are subsidised and um, supported by the government. So, based mm. on the support, the, the 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 general support of the public. So,
1: uh, I should take um, uh, example from UK, <laughs> where yeah. most homeopathic um, practices uh, have been defunded from NHS. Anyway. Oh
0: yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah yeah. Um, it's just that, uh, and and Ed Zoderns mentions it, and and I totally agree with him that there is a survey survey mania among the the practitioners of scam because they they want to show that the the support they want to, to get numbers because that's what people trust numbers. Fuck you, just so the, 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 these numbers did really don't add up, so it, they're questionable, at least.
1: On to the next Facebook news now. Did you notice we've been talking about Facebook quite a bit recently? Oh yeah. Um but
0: there's <laughs> quite a bit happening around it.
1: <laughs> I'm actually in two minds of start reading the small print and reporting back on what I find because I bet it's pretty horrifying. The consent you give by using Facebook without knowing that you're given the consent. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the news items at hand. Uh, this is about the deep fake video policy that they are mulling over at the moment. So uh, I haven't actually seen the video myself, but I've heard about it a lot. And it's about um, the house speaker Nancy Pelosi seemingly being portrayed in that video as being drunk. But this video was fake. It was generated by someone just like a good old uh special effects in the movies um of course these kind of things can uh, hurt one reputation so uh she was not overly impressed about it and tried to uh, and did ask to take it down and uh, facebook has been very slow at acting out uh, uh, on 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 this however After the whole thing blew up again, (laughs) one of the things (laughs) that blew up, uh, Zuckerberg, of course, made a statement to say that they are uh, looking at creating a policy uh, uh, that will identify the deepfake videos and remove them from the platform. There is so many problems with this. I mean because actually i don't know if you've seen um and it's it's an interesting one to look up the video of how these deep fakes are pr- produced and how easy it is to 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 be done there is a program that's been written um that takes an original uh, sort of video recorded by somebody saying something and then you can just chop it and cut it and make that person say things that he hasn't said or chop half of his speech and make it sound like a totally different thing um Horrifying stuff. And the, the lips move in sync. Everything seems absolutely fine. So this is the kind of deep fake videos we're talking about. And the future is not great, especially can yeah. you imagine around the election cycles? Um, the stuff. So we're now talking about the fake news, but, but in, in a not so distant future, we will we'll be talking about the, the videos that are fake, but they appear completely authentic. So yeah. how Zuckerberg is going to do it. I don't know. I mean, he is a genius. There's no denying. Um, but um,
0: and and he works with a with a whole team of geniuses. Yeah. So,
1: <laughs> yeah. The concern, of course, is um, they the policy of removing videos might get complicated, and uh, mm-hmm. it could sweep up uh, in an overly overall broad ban, creating more headache for Facebook. So they could remove uh, maybe some funny videos. You know, the the, the humor <laughs> might completely disappear.
0: This, this, I think this is why they have so far shied away from hitting on those videos and any kind of content based on the actual content. So yeah. they, they usually, they usually yeah. restrain themselves to removing anything.
1: Well, I think Based become, on technical
0: issues, so like technically, legally, legal issues can be can be the reason to to remove something, but not the the actual content if it's are, not violating yeah. any any kind of. So uh, yeah, they are
1: relying on reports of other other people yeah, saying that it's fake. Yeah. So the the um the, the fact checkers, but I so think, it's a good
0: thing on one side, but on the other side, it makes our life much much more difficult.
1: Well, I don't know. It's um. Facebook, the po- the police state, <laughs> the police state mm. of Facebook. <laughs> I, I I don't think they want to get down that road, um, but it looks especially like the, the,
0: yeah, it's a slippery but, slope. But the,
1: yeah, but it looks like the public pressure is mounting. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I say that every time. Get off the fucking Facebook. But um, it's inevitable. The, it became and Facebook became unmanageable. It's too big. It's too big. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, Zuckerberg is now saying, well, you know, all these calls to break up Facebook. Mm-hmm. He said, oh, no, it's not going to get rid of the problem. We're just going to have uh, smaller, more more companies to, to tackle the same problem. And Facebook yeah. is better place to resolve these issues. And I'm thinking, well, it hasn't resolved anything yet, as far as I can see. It just keeps Yeah, but the problem is that Facebook
0: words. is part of the problem. So, uh, I mean, they are massively responsible for this problem to have grown out of proportions.
1: And there's no regulation. Um,
0: so they have to find a solution to clean it up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But there's no
1: regulation. That this is it. You know, it's, it's just doing yeah, yeah. whatever. Uh, basically following whatever Zuckerberg feels like is the right thing to do.
0: We'll see how it goes. <laughs> but I'm a little bit sceptical. We all are. Well, aren't you know
1: we? me. I'm a lot. I'm a lot of Okay.
0: All right. This uh, was the last thing that we needed to uh, cover this week. But before we go, uh, I'd like to ask you, Yelena, to mm-hmm. to give us a quote if you've got one.
1: I have a quote from Emily Du and she was French, <laughs> as you, as you gathered from my pronunciation. Actually, her full name is Gabrielle Émilie Le Tournelier de Bretul Marquise du Châtelet.
0: That was lovely. Thank you. Whatever, you
1: know, like, listen, I, I only have two parts in my name. I just like, she's got one, two, three, four, five. Six. Anyways, she was a French natural philosopher, mathematician, physicist, and author during the early 1730s. So she was a really badass, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, but, anyways. And what's the quote? Yes, <laughs> she said <laughs> uh, Love of learning is the most necessary passion. In it lies our happiness. It's a sure remedy for what ails us, an unending source of pleasure. Ooh. There we go. Never stop learning, basically.
0: Never stop learning. And I think it has never been so true as it is today. Yes. Uh, if you stop learning, again, then you you might as well yeah. just just give it up for forever.
1: Never stop being yeah, curious.
0: Exactly. Okay. So even though we are very curious and uh, uh, we've been trying to serve your curiosity as well, the listeners, uh, this show has come to an end. So I'd like to thank you, Yelena, for joining me today
1: it was fun things. Uh
0: unfortunately Pontus has not been able to do so, but I'm 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 really hoping that next time the three of us will be together uh doing the next show. And I definitely want to thank our listeners for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Pakapaka. Pakapaka. Paka. I don't know how you can be believe.